Exodus chapter 16. Uh, we spent uh, several months in the fall looking at the beginning of the book of Exodus. Uh, we've taken a break for the past few months, and we are now coming uh, back to this book. Uh, we, we're rejoining uh, the journey uh, from slavery, uh, from darkness, from death into flourishing, abundance, and life. We are walking with God's people as He leads them, as He leads us uh, towards that destination. And so let's rejoin the story in Exodus chapter 16. We're going to consider the whole chapter, but I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read uh, beginning in verse 1 to verse 12, and then we'll skip to the end. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots, and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And then go with me to verse 31. I'll read from there to the end of the chapter. Now the house of Israel called its name manna, that's speaking of the bread that came from heaven. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years, till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah, just in case you were wondering. (laughs) All right, let's pray. 
Father, we stand grateful uh, for your many, many gifts to us. And high on those lists of gifts is this word, these uh, stories. And so we come grateful that we are able to sit and hear and receive your voice to us in this book. We are grateful as we come to these words, we don't come alone. Uh, We come with your presence, your spirit, uh, given to us through Jesus. But we also come humbled and needing your help so that we can hear, so that we can understand, and much more than that, so that we can be changed by what we consider here in the book of Exodus. Would you open our eyes, our ears, our hearts? And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever misread a situation with disastrous results? (laughs) Several years ago, uh, for my birthday, my wife planned a getaway for us. And, And I should say my wife planned a surprise getaway for us. Surprise being the key word in that, because the first thing we did as a part of this weekend is we went shopping. And I didn't know about the rest of the weekend. All I knew about was the shopping. And, and frankly, I, I don't want to wake up on my birthday and go shopping. And so I was unhappy with that, and I let my unhappiness be known. And so Jess had to reveal the surprise prematurely, and I felt quite ashamed of my ungrateful behavior. I misread the situation. It's a little bit like what happens here in Exodus chapter 16. God has miraculously rescued his people from slavery. He is leading them to a land of abundance. But between Egypt And the promised land is the desert. And in the desert, God's people misread the situation. They see the desert primarily as a place of scarcity. And because of that, they live with self-deception and doubt. Verse 3. Verse 3 would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. They look back to Egypt, and they look at Egypt as a source of fullness. When we were in Egypt, we had pots full of meat, bread to the full, which is a complete lie. Self-deceived. But even worse than what they miss about Egypt is what they miss about God. They turn to God and see Him rather than a source of life as a source of death. Rather than a source of fullness as a source of emptiness. They misread the situation. And this matters for us because we live in the desert. We live in the desert. The New Testament, in places like Hebrews chapters 2 and 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, compares our life now If we are in Jesus, it says our life now is like the experience of the people of Israel in the wilderness. 
And if we live in the desert, we share the problem and live with the problem of the desert. And in the end, the problem of the desert isn't scarcity. It's perspective. It is that we would see our experience of the wilderness through the lens of scarcity and then live our lives with self-deception and doubt. That in our need, in our pain, in our hunger, we would look away from God as the true source of fullness in life to some other source. But if that's the problem, what's the solution? If we live with the problem of the desert, the problem of this grumbling, this complaining, this self-deception and doubt, if we live with the threat of that problem, what's the solution? Well, I want us to look at this story here in Exodus chapter 16, and we'll find God giving us two resources for the desert. Two resources for life in the wilderness. He gives us provision, and he gives us presence. Provision and presence. First of all, provision. God gives us provision. I think one of the most beautiful aspects of this chapter is God's response to grumbling. The people say, God, your way, your plan is death. Which is, it's a little bit offensive, right? But how does God react? How does God react to the deception and the doubt of his people? Verse 4. I'm about to rain fire and brimstone down on you. No. I am about to rain bread from heaven. Bread from heaven. And know this. God's people continue to complain. They continue to rebel, to reject his way, his plan for them. And what does God continue to do the whole time? Forty years in the desert. He continues to rain bread from heaven. Now, yes, at times he punishes them, he judges them. But the bread never stops while they are in the wilderness. What incredible grace. And in verse 31 of, of chapter 16, it says that this bread tasted like honey. Now remember, how is the land that God had promised to his people, how is it described in the Bible? It's a place that is flowing with milk and what? Honey. So God not only gives them nourishment, he gives them the anticipation of abundance. He says to them every morning, look where I am taking you. I am taking you to honey. But neither nourishment nor anticipation is the real reason, the real purpose of manna. Verse 4 again. Why manna? I am going to rain bread. I'm going to tell them to gather it. Why? So that I may test them. When we consider the end of 
chapter 15, I, I said, and I'll say again, the testing in the wilderness is less like finals week and more like boot camp. Okay? It's a process of training. It is not one sit down and you pass or fail. It is a process where God is teaching, where he's training his people. And you can see that in this chapter because even when God's people fail, he doesn't fail them. He continues to provide that bread and he continues to invite them to a better way. He's training them. But if this is training, what skill is God trying to teach his people? What skill does he want them to learn? Well, he says several times in the chapter, I want you to gather this bread that's going to rain on you every morning like you do. I want you to gather it, but I only want you to gather enough for one day. Only gather enough for one day. And if you don't get enough, don't worry. Your, your neighbor will have more and they can share with you. Why? Why does God say, here's bread, only gather enough for one day. Don't hoard it. Because the skill he's training them in is daily dependence. He wants to train them in daily dependence, and that dependence comes from the surrender of ownership. It is saying this bread that rains every morning, I don't own it. And I don't control it. Why? Why is that so important to God? Because He knows that we will obey Him. We will obey Him only when we see that life is a gift from Him. God trains His people in daily dependence because if they will learn the lesson of manna, then they will learn all the other lessons they need to learn. If they can see all that they have, all of their life as a gift from God, then they will respond by giving their lives to God, by participating in the purposes that He has for them. The loss of ownership produces dependence that produces obedience. It's no wonder then that Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, what does he teach us to ask for? Daily bread. Not because he expects us to have no bread in the cupboard. No, because He expects us to see all that we have as a gift. He wants us to stand before God dispossessed and dependent, knowing that our entire experience, all of our life, all that we have, we don't own it. And we don't control it. We receive it as a gift, like manna. I think that's why then Paul, in the New Testament, reaches back to Exodus chapter 16, and he uses it to tell the church in Corinth to give money to the church in Jerusalem. He's saying, hey, Corinthians, your money, your possessions, it's manna. It's manna. You don't own it. You don't control it. 
And because it is an expression of God's generosity to you, then you can become an expression of His generosity to others. So how are you doing in the desert? Can you, as you walk out these doors this morning, look at your life and say, it's all a gift? Can you stand before all that you have with open hands rather than clenched fists? Can you live life through the perspective of manna? There's a quote, it's attributed to Martin Luther, I don't know if he said it or not, but it's still a good quote, whoever said it. Uh, But it says, God created us to be happy humans, not grumpy gods. God created us to be happy humans, not grumpy gods. Manna is training in that way of life. It is training in how to be a happy human, not a grumpy God. Because it teaches you to live life this way rather than this way. Interesting that when Jesus tells us to pray for daily bread, he almost immediately then begins to talk about anxiety. Why? Because at the heart of fear is a clenched fist. At the heart of fear is us scrambling to own, to control our lives. Jesus says, stand before God with open hands and don't be anxious. Why? Because when you stand before God with open hands, you find an attentive and a gracious and a caring and a compassionate Father. So, how are you doing in the desert? Can you live dispossessed, dependent before God, a life of open hands, receiving life as a gift from Him? That's really hard to do. We can see from the example of God's people here in Exodus 16 and throughout the story of the Old Testament, it is really hard to live life that way. Because even with provision, the problem of the desert remains. So, we need to take a second step. And we need to see God not only giving provision, but Him also giving His presence. See this resource in three ways in this chapter. First, something happens before the food shows up in Exodus 16, right? Something happens before the food shows up. Verse 10, they look out to the desert... And what do they see? They see a demonstration of the presence of God. The glory of God shining in this cloud. They see a visible expression of God's power and beauty. Why? Why does God give them this lesson, this sign this visible expression of His presence? Well, because He wants them to connect the coming provision 
to His presence. He wants them to make that connection between what falls from heaven and who is in heaven also dwelling with them. This reiterates the the engine of the Exodus story. What drives this journey from slavery to freedom? It is God saying and then showing, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I, in all of my infinite power, am committed to you, my fickle and complaining people. You see, the greatest need of the desert isn't bread. It's God. And this is what He wants His people to see. He wants His people to connect His provision to His presence. Second way we see that truth in this chapter. Remember, God's people are instructed to gather only enough for one day. Except there's an exception. Right? He says on the sixth day, gather enough for two days so that you can rest on the seventh day. The Sabbath. Now, that seems really odd, that seems really strange that in the middle of everything else that's going on here in Exodus chapter 16, that all of a sudden now we're also talking about the Sabbath. So why is this here? Well, for a similar reason that the cloud showed up and glowed with the presence of God. See, the Sabbath is about satisfaction. God created the world in six days, and then He rested on the seventh. Why? Because He was tired? No, because He was satisfied. He was pleased with the goodness of what He had made. And so He invites His people to join in His rest. Satisfied, not with what they had done, but what He had done. He wants them to join and to be so content in Him that they can stop. For a day. And rest. Why? Because satisfaction. Hunger. The deepest hunger. Is not for bread. It is for presence. It is for God. To be with us. Third way we see that in this chapter. At the end. What does God tell them to do? He looks in the future and he says, Take a jar of this manna, and when you build the tabernacle, when you build the temple, put that jar in the holiest of holy places where God uniquely dwells with his people. Why? He's connecting bread, provision, to presence. He is saying satisfaction is found in here, me with you. You will be fed. Your deepest need will be met, not with bread ultimately, but with God. And so into the future, God's people see that truth demonstrated in the tabernacle, in the temple. That their deepest need was not for bread, but for God to be with them. And notice the contrast between the end of the chapter and the beginning of the chapter. 
The beginning of the chapter, God's people, they are lying about fullness, right? They're looking back at Egypt and saying, we had bread to the full there, we had life there, we had fullness there. What happens at the end of the chapter? God says, no, 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 no. True fullness is here in my presence. True flourishing life happens when I live with you. But what about us? What about us? If that deepest need is met not with bread, but with God, God's presence, God dwelling with people, how do we come to know God as the source of fullness? How do we come to know Him as the source of true life? We don't have a temple with a jar of manna in it. Or do we? Jesus, who calls Himself the true temple, also calls Himself, in John chapter 6, the bread of life. And He reaches back to Exodus 16 and He says, Look, God gave them manna. And then it was an expression of His love for them, an expression of His desire to dwell with them. But that manna didn't satisfy. So God has sent... Better bread, Jesus says. He sent better bread in His Son. And how can Jesus claim that? To be the temple, to be the bread of life. How can He claim that? Well, because He is the perfect connection of provision and presence. He is the fullness of God's presence, dwelling not in a building with a jar of manna, but in a body that was broken for us, that was raised for us, that stands in heaven now and has poured out His presence, His Spirit, on us. So how do we know God as the source of fullness? Through Jesus. How are we satisfied with the presence of God? How do we know Him as the true source of life? It is in Jesus. We will look to God as our source of fullness when we look to Jesus, who was the perfect demonstration of God's glory. We will look to God for our fullness when we look to Jesus, when we taste Him by faith and know that He is the bread of life. We will know God as the source of our fullness as we come to Jesus by faith and rest on who He is, on what He has done, and what He will do. So how are you doing in the desert? How are you doing in the wilderness? This week, where will you look for fullness? Will you look to pots of meat that are pretend ways, temporary numbing of your pain, of your need? Or will you look 
to the bread of life. God's presence with you and for you because of what Jesus has done for you. You see, my birthday weekend would have gone so much better if I wouldn't have been dwelling on my immediate circumstances and would have rather trusted my wife and her love for me and her desire to do good for me. How much more? How much more can we look and trust in our God who not only provides for us, but has given Himself to us in the person of His Son. Let's pray.